Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Aim High and Achieve podcast. Today I am delighted to welcome German cave diving legend Robbie Schmittner to the show. Nobody has explored more of the Yucatan Peninsula than Robbie and he's best known for connecting the Sac Actun and the Dos Ojos cave systems in the Yucatan and he's dedicated over 20 years of his life to exploring the cave systems there. He's responsible for discovering and mapping over 420 kilometers of uncharted caves. This one's going to be great. I've been really looking forward to it. Let's dive in. Hi, Robbie. Uh, welcome to the Aim High and Achieve podcast. I'm delighted to welcome you. How are you doing? I'm doing very well and thank you very much for the opportunity. No problem, no problem. So ju- just as a short introduction, you are, and these are not my words, these are words from people like Steve Backshaw. You, you're one of the most accomplished cave divers in the world, so I'm absolutely delighted to welcome you on. Um, I, I I heard that Steve Backshaw, in his introduction, he, he, he put you up there with Mallory and Shackleton in terms of exploration. How does that kind of introduction make you feel and on your achievements? Makes me think Steve is a drama queen. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just no. no, it's it's an honor. <laughs> and it's like um, no, it's amazing to get put with people that caliber on the same on the same height. Uh, yeah. I don't know what to say about it, but it's like wow, definitely. Yeah, and and just for uh, for for the listeners, just to sort of go into a bit of background, you you have probably explored more than the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, more than anybody else on Earth. Um, what what's so special about the Yucatan? And and start with the geography of the place. The special of this area is that there is more cave than anywhere else on a square kilometer that you can never find any more anyway anywhere in the world more entrances and play and caves underneath the ground than here it's basically the ideal ideal um possibilities or the ideal way to go exploring uh nowhere else would you do you have that much entrances do you have that much cave uh they flood it so we swim around in them we dive around in them so you have best visibilities the water is crystal clear crystal clear drinking quality in most places it's changing there unfortunately um warm water so you can go in with a wetsuit you don't need a dry suit um it's just ideal ideal conditions and we have the biggest largest water filled cave systems in the world of like over 300 over 400 kilometers by now and that would only always only be possible because we do have so many entrances so you can go into different ends entrances on that huge cave systems and push it farther out and push it further out if it would be just one entrance you couldn't do it no no and, and you're you're a specialist in linking these entrances up and mapping the cave system and i, I will put some links in uh, in the in the show notes as well because there's some great videos and, and on one video, I see how you are navigating in the cave system with a compass and, and some line and you're, you're linking up these caves. How, how do you manage? Because I've been scuba diving and it's hard enough for me to concentrate on the scuba system, never mind having to navigate on top of that, having to put line in. How, how is that simply that you've been doing it for so long? That well, you can do that. Yeah, I mean, if I would still have to to concentrate really a lot on my equipment, that would take a lot of the the awareness away. I have to give to the cave and the indicators to read the cave to find the way where I want to go. And I'm actually I'm 
I mean, with my with my open, with my scuba equipment, like I've been diving it the whole time, side mount, a tank here, a tank there, regulators. That was just normal for me. That's where, like, if you would go out to the to your job, um, mm. do whatever you want, it becomes normal. Um, right now, I, I do have to concentrate on my on my gear again because I changed to rebreathers, a thing I thought I would never do, but um, it. I, I realized late, but I realized it is an amazing tool, is a tool which let me do explorations where I couldn't get to before. You know? So it's like a, an amazing tool. And now again, I do have part, a very big part of my concentration now is on the machine, which takes a bit away from my awareness about on the cave. Um, but again, keep diving do it do it till it becomes normal till it becomes routine then be special careful not to mess it up because it is routine but um then also the awareness of the cave is better again and i can see and find where one cave might link up with the other am i right in saying that the uh the asteroid or the, the meteorite or the asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs is that part of the geography that created such a big cave system there in, in the Yucatan? Yes and no. Um, okay. The caves, we've been diving for 40 years now, and we've been exploring and finding the biggest caves in the world. Um, they've been forming by water searching their way out to the ocean like okay. corroding, corroding the limestone going out. But um, what we just now really, really start to understand is where is all this water coming from? No? Where's all this water coming from, which corrodes mm. those river deltas of, of caves out on the ground? And that does have to do with the impact of, the, of that meteor. And because the main or the, the peninsula of Yucatan is crisscrossed by some major fractures, major fractures which are so big and so far out and over the whole peninsula that the picture was too big to look at it. It was like okay. you couldn't see it. It was like over the horizon. It's like it's like too far out. No? Right. And right now, actually, that's what I'm working on. Now, now I'm looking for the major fractures which crisscross the the, um, the peninsula, and actually mm. that actually for first time explains why we have all this river delta of cave along the coast. And actually, even if we saw the oh, biggest cave in the world for so long, right now we just realize it's just it's just basically collateral damage what we have mm. here of what is really going on by those major fractures crisscrossing the whole peninsula from Guatemala, Belize, over to Mexico, up to the tip of the peninsula uh, by the city of Cancun, moving water over hundreds and hundreds of kilometers. So wow. that's a theory I'm bringing up right now. And all my expeditions right now are basically focused on that to see if we can approve the major fractures crossing the, the peninsula and in terms of um in terms of when you look at an expedition uh, when you start planning the expedition and, and the risk factor i mean because cave diving i'm gonna say is probably one of the most dangerous pursuits on earth along with sort of eight me eight thousand meter mountaineering no, no, it's not. No, no. <laughs> it's okay. a, I mean, it, it as I as I see it, to me, let's say, be. to me, let's say, I would see that. It can be. I get that. That's totally right. And and people die during explorations. People die in sports cave diving. Um, true, because where we go, that environment is as unfriendly as going to the moon or to the outer space, mm. or something like that. You have to have a suit which keeps you alive. You have to have gear which keeps you alive. You have to know um, how to do it. You have to become a mm. specialist. But then when you did that, 
it can be very safe. And it's uh, yeah. the, the rest risk is way less than mountaineering or parachuting or stuff like that, falling off a, a perfectly working plane into the ground. It's like, I don't get it. But um, when you do, when you learn how to cave dive, use the real gear, have a good mindset for it, like to know when it's enough for the day, then the risk, the rest of the risk which is still there like for example a cave foot collapse is very very little yeah and and i suppose as well i mean i've said this in previous pod podcasts about we're sort of in a, in a world now where everybody's sort of after instant gratification they're not sort of willing to put in you know the years and years and years that's needed to to be able to forge that instinct in your mind when when you go in maybe go a little bit further in the cave something doesn't feel right you sense it the third eye you turn back and and so on that takes tens of years to develop i guess it's necessary and also people which die are usually the people which their main their main concern is get pictures for facebook you know yeah get me well, cave diver, and yeah. uh, shouldn't be there in the beginning. No. So no, no. Yeah, totally. that 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 totally reflects this. Get this. Get this. Oh, I get my certification very quick, and then I become the biggest guy, and I use this machine and that, and look at me and Facebook and Instagram. Then mm. that is usually the people we have to pull out dead of those systems. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I see. Um, I've I've seen a few sort of because uh, I'm quite interested in cave diving. I'll probably never end up doing it as much as I would love to, but I I kind of love watching the documentaries about it. And I know there was uh, over in Norway, the the home of this podcast. I know there was a cave diving accident in Oslo and uh, some Iceland. Uh, some uh, I think there were maybe Finnish divers came over, and and that was quite a big story here with with that cave. And the police tried to stop them going back in, but they went in. The, under the cover of darkness into the cave to get the body and and yeah so that you you probably hear about those incidents yes you yes, know yes. A, a one off met when there's 10,000 safety safe dives you know it's like anything yeah it's exactly um i heard about it uh, it's a quite famous case i know some cave divers from norway and um they're conditions are really really worse uh, well worse the water is very cold the cave goes mm. through that makes um makes conditions way way worse and harder to start with yeah and, and i suppose cave diving probably came in into uh into the forefront of people's minds from the the jim the jimmy chin and the Ch chai vasarelli film the rescue which is on on disney plus you know did you get to see that one I did not. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> that that that's about the 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 twelve Thai uh, footballers. They get caught in in a cave system that the the rains come in the monsoon and then it floods and yeah. they have to go in and, and bring bring the. It's a great film, so I'd I'd recommend. I haven't seen the film. film. I haven't seen the film. I know some guys who were there at the rescue. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and been talking to them personally, and that was okay. like the most outstanding incredible thing in cave diving ever and yeah. when they, for example drugged the kids or when that came up as a as a, as a uh, possibility i said no way that's crazy that's crazy and that's what they did and that brought them all out i was like wow no, that was yeah the most amazing thing ever it is quite a heart it is quite a heart-wrenching inspirational film to see and what i kind of loved about the film was the 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 british guys that went in with sort of like the homemade equipment and and the way that they just cave dive for fun and then they were just thrust into the kind of celebrity life and they just got on with it they just did did what they had to do you know professional almost uh elite and I, I i really like the way that the, the way that it was filmed and portrayed and yeah it's a great story that no the brits were that's where it pretty much started the cave diving wookie hole and okay. um, it's more cave walking <laughs> even <it's laughs> <underwater. laughs> because they don't have visibility so they don't have to that they don't have to worry about 
very good skills in floating around and not touching anything. Yeah, okay. And been diving with uh, many, uh, quite some British cave divers. And it was always like, it's the okay. most fun. I mean, there's like some stuff you think like, oh my God, that gear configuration is crazy. But they have so solid mindset for this kind of dive. Nothing seems like nothing can get them out, out of their like mm. relaxed state, whatever it is. Yeah, just keep going. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's, that's what cave diving is about, I think. Yeah, it's fantastic. And and how did you did you stumble upon living in the Yucatan and all this this amazing cave system, or, or did you plan to go there originally, or did you kind of fall into it over there? It, my whole life works like that. I'm never planning anything. Even if I try to, it just changes. <laughs> it never yeah. works. So I stumbled more or less into everything. Um, I came to Mexico to the Yucatans because I was diving in Germany as a sports diver in through a, a dive shop of a, of a German guy. He was married to a Mexican and they decided at some point to come over to Mexico, open a dive shop as I had a friendship already with them and been diving as a dive master or working with them already a little bit. Of course, I had to come and see Oh, where are you now? And that was here, here in, in Tulum area. And he said, Dunar, the guy who was my my, my teacher or my type, my, my instructor, he said, like, um, no, you have to do this cave diving when you're here. You have to do it. Mm. This shit. <laughs> and I said, okay, let's see what that is. And it was. So it's like, wow, hooked right away um, from the course where, where we went into these caves into another world which you couldn't find anywhere above ground you know? and i was mm. really hooked um went back to germany back to my lumberjack chop um couldn't stop thinking about the mexican caves every day i was dreaming flying through those caves and it took me like two years then to make that step for coming from this little town in Germany, 2,000 souls, lumberjack job, going out into the world in 93, there was still no social media. I didn't have an email address at the time, you know, yeah. or a cell phone. So going out into the world and to a country, I don't know, into a place where I couldn't speak the language other than cerveza, which kept me alive. And then, um, you know, it's like, going out there, but it was cool. I went, came over, had like a half a year unpaid uh, break from my job. And at the time when I came here, there was about 400 kilometers of caves known already by the first generation explorers in the area. But now it's 2000 kilometers, which means there was still a lot of area, untouched area. You could just go out swim in a cave, go along that line. Suddenly the line ended and mm. the cave kept going. It was like, what? <laughs> That's amazing. So basically coming back here, uh, coming back in 98, um, I started exploring right away and it was learning by doing. It was not like any experience yet. We're just running lines, not exactly knowing what we're doing, but we run through these caves with no way you realize nobody else has seen this before you, and it's so beautiful. And then you stumble over some mastodon bones or a saber-toothed tiger or even humans from Ice Age, and it's like, <gasps> wow! And of course, half a year passed by very, very quickly then, and I was supposed to go back home to my job, and said, no way, no way. I called my boss and said, hey, boss, give that job to somebody else. <laughs> half a year at least. And that another half a year stopped, uh, passed by quickly. I had more caves to explore, even. And I said, then I called my mom and said, Mom, I'm not going to come back. Um, I don't know for how long. And she started crying. And was like, oh no, I lost my son to the caves. Um, and now, 25 years later, I'm still here and I have even more to explore than ever before. Wow. It's a great story. And it's kind of interesting that you 
you sort of while you were working your day job you were kind of manifesting the sort of dream what you what you wanted to pursue and you didn't want to get caught up in in that sort of nine to five job or whatever it was and and, and not pursue a dream and it just shows you know I always think how many people have probably had that same dream in the early 20s and, and didn't chase it, you know, and they just left it, continued, then they end up 40, 45 or something. And what could have been is not, you know. So it's great. I love hearing a story where somebody has taken that dream and they've made it happen. And it's just about manifestation, I think, you know, not not giving up on it, you know. So well, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's taking a bit of risk. And there's people that don't that they do that. Some people don't do don't like it. They be more conservative. Everything's safe, but you might have, you might miss out with a lot of fun doing it that way. I don't know. It was just for me. It worked out very well this way. Yeah, I mean, and 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 you've you've managed to build a business up there as well. So you you've actually combined your pattern. And I think this is great. And this is what I tell my kids all the time. You have to take what you're passionate about, you have to try and make that your career because you don't want a career that you're not passionate about. And we sort of say uh, in English, you would sort of say a dead end job type, type situation. And, and what you, you've built a business over there based around this, which is just fantastic, I think. Yeah, but I hope I don't spoil it now for your kids. <laughs> never a good businessman. I never was. Um, my passion was the, the exploration. And I did open up a dive shop and I teach people and I did open up a little hotel out of, over there. And then I took that money I earned and took it to the jungle to go exploring. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I didn't make a great business. And I actually, since the lockdown, let, I kept it closed. Um, mm. Tulum changed a lot. Um, it isn't the place anymore I came and fell in love with. It's like, Tourism changed completely. Mm -hmm. um, the diving scene changed completely. Um, when people came in the past, they came because they wanted to see the cave. They wanted to go into this environment. They wanted to learn how to go in there, be safe, come back out, and enjoy life and have the possibility to go to a different planet in a matter of mm -hmm. short time. Um, today, not, not that much anymore. Few people come with that mindset. It is now really just that. It's like, look at me, I'm a cave diver, that I can post that in, in, in Facebook. And I, mm. I have no desire teaching anybody cave diving because of that. No? Yeah, of course. They, when we came out after after dive, in, in, I remember that. When we came out after dive with the dive group, I didn't say a word. We came up to the surface. And people were just, they were just like floating there, recalculating what they just saw. And it was just like, wow. And the, people were like, did you see this? Did you see that? That one formation looked like an elephant. Did you see that? It was like, that was cool. Today, we come up to the surface, or in the last years, they come up to the surface and say, I told you my regulator is better than yours. I told you that line is stronger. And it's like, did, I, did they just see, did they just go with me through here what nature created here and they just shout at each other where, who has the better suit or light or regular and I said, no. That's useless. Like, like, why would I teach people that way? And that's unfortunately, it's, it's, it's the bigger part of the diving community um, which does it because of that. To look, sorry, look at me. And it's just mm. like, don't want to do that anymore. And, no, no. and anyway, I, I want to change my work. I'm changing my work. I have changed my work already. And also, because it's like I'm seeing what's happening here in the area, it gets destroyed by tourism. It does so, especially because it's growing, everything is growing uncontrolled, without a plan, it's not well, there's no not, no good infrastructure here, it's just all it's growing too fast and too too big. 
and um, government is not doing a too good job, I would say, to provide pro uh, what is it called uh, to change that for some reason somehow. And being here, having a dive shop and a hotel, is it's kind of like an two-edged sword for me because I'm loving what I'm doing. I bring people to these places and I start to destroy them too because when I'm the first one going into it, I'm the first one just making damage to this environment and bringing more and more and more people brings more and more damage to, you know. And um, so that for that reason, I had a bit of a problem to keep going with the business. Plus, I think I want to go now for exploration on a bigger scale and try to make changes, hope to make changes in um, protect for, protection for the area, find protection for the area. And the big problems are um, wastewater, and um, garbage dumps, which do contaminate the whole aquifer, and that gets moved from A to B over big distances. And that is actually something which is way bigger and a way bigger problem than just a diver making some manual damage by touching something. So, but if I want to do something and, and get somewhere and help to give, still find protection, if it's possible, I uh, have to go now full-time exploring, um, get scientists involved, um, prove what's going on, where's the water coming from, where's it going to, where are the big polluters, and then uh, things can be changed and hopefully protection be found for this amazing aquifer and cave paradise we have over here mm, so, so it's, it's it's interesting that you've kind of started off as a, a a cave diver now you've almost become sort of like a protector of the system you know by using science and and sort of you know being an innovator in terms of giving data and i'm guessing if you're gonna sort of you have to work with people like UNESCO maybe uh, to make it World Heritage and, and this these kind of organizations? Well, yeah, to get there, you have to actually show already, already some stuff. So I'm working together with different universities here in Mexico, um, working very close with uh, Geosphere um, Austria. They were, used, they were called GBA before, the basically the geological... Um, Federation of Austria, they leaders in aerogeophysics because that's one way we how we would like to try and find caves, find them also out from the air instead of going really into every hole and pushing it out and explore. You see, it takes takes long. That's a project taking long, long time, but we don't have that time anymore. We need to find different ways how to find the caves prove that they're there, prove where the water comes from, where it goes to. So we're trying to find it, find them from the air, taking newest technology into these things. And when we do have um, results, now only then we can go to places like UNESCO and try and get different, uh, get, get changes done. It's it's a hard, it's quite a hard job, you know? Hey, it, it sounds especially when you're working with science and you know and data and data collection i'm, I'm guessing that's pretty intense do you do you have a, a team of divers with you you dive in a, alone in into the systems or do you have support members with you we when we go exploring very often we dive alone i i, I prefer it actually that way because mm -hmm. then there's an you said for earlier you might have to concentrate on your gear now, okay, when you pro and you do this so long time, you don't have to concentrate on the gear. If you have a diver with you, another one, there's another factor you have to, which takes away awareness from you. And we plan in diving always, in, in cave diving exploration, that you can deal with every problem you might be focused. You can deal yourself. You don't need your body. You, you're not... In, not depending on a body, because we get into situations quite often, especially when you look for 
connections in between caves which weren't there yet they weren't there yet because it's difficult because you have to crawl through some small stuff and it gets silty and silt comes up you don't see anything anymore and then a buddy in this situation is not really of any help it's actually more of a danger for you because you realize now stuck blind because you don't see anything and you're stuck in this really small space that you can't go ahead okay but you can't go back neither because your body blocks you right so you have to somehow get him the message by kicking him in the face basically <laughs> that he needs to back up that you can get out of this hole so um we always have redundant gear so if one regulator would fail you change to the other if we have the life supporting stuff triple lights regulators so you always can change or help yourself in the situation you are right now and if you do this kind of activity also your mindsets and your mental strengths has to be strong enough that you don't depend on a body you know i mean I know it, and I, I, I also think it is a good thing that, that the diving associations say solo diving is not an, an um, activity you should do or we don't, we don't support, and that's fine. That's fine, and it's good, and it probably should be that way. But um, in these very, very extreme situations where we are, you have to be able to deal with any problem you might be faced with yourself yeah because i, I was actually you you've answered my question i was i was going to say that because uh, every scuba thing i've ever done it's always number one rule is you dive with a buddy but i'm, I'm guessing in the open ocean yeah that that's exactly right you know you're not confined to these sort of spaces that you're in and you know collapses and tang entanglements I'm guessing though, and I saw one one video clip with you, and and I, I want to ask you about this shortly about the Steve Backshaw TV show, which we, we, which was great on the episodes you did with yourself. Was was I see on one you were taking? I think you were putting three oxygen tanks through a gap that just looked impossible to get through. And I suppose in that situation, you know, if you snatch a case, snatch a wire on something or one something gets disconnected it, it things can go wrong pretty quick so how do you you've got to obviously manage that fight or flight mechanism you know yeah um yeah but the, the moment my most important thing is to stay calm all the time mm. if you stay calm you can deal with anything you have mm. all the gear you have all the possibilities to fix the problem I mean, that's one important thing in, in cave diving that you in the, that you do a lot of mental training before you go diving. Like, what could happen to me? What happens if actually I'm stuck in that small crack there and I pass through a regulator and, and a tank and another tank and suddenly that hose snaps. Okay, and then you go step by step through. Instead of... I mean, when a hose snap in a, in a regulator, suddenly, again, visibility is zero because the bubbles come out, that hose goes over everywhere, the silt comes up. So you need to be clear about the situation. What will happen if that happens? Even that's like, oh, no, it's probably going to zero visibility quick. Okay, so should I really disconnect my all my tanks all of them and push them through there or should i make sure somehow i'm still kind of connected to them if i do uh what would be then the, the next step to do okay probably staying calm i can quickly stop that that free flow of air by turning off that tank okay all will stop Okay, good. What's the next step? Well, at that point, I should really make sure that I can breathe. No? So if that hose which popped was the one I had in my mouth, well, it won't give me air anymore. So I have to change to another regulator. Where is that regulator? Oh, what's on the other side of the restriction? No, I cannot do it that way. So it has to be clipped with me here. I can unclip it and breathe from it. 
So it's really like that analyzing the situation, even in a very high, high stressful situation, you have to stop, stay calm, analyze, act. And when you do it that way, you can deal with anything. Mm. And uh, in the Steve Backshall uh, TV show as well, I see that, um, you know, you, you, you've now got a production crew around you. You know, does does that add anything to it, or are you sort of so well trained in what you do that that sort of they're, they're almost not there, and you, you're just doing what you're doing? You know, um, even if I said I, I prefer going diving myself, I've been always working with other people in, in, in many different ways. We always have a team, um, even if the team goes diving one here, the other there, and over there, but then we bring the data together. And now with the with the work I want to do and like showing how the whole aquifer of the peninsula works and showing, um, get, bringing scientific data to UNESCO or other places, to universities, to show it to the world, we need a whole team. We need scientists there, all kinds of scientists, geologists, hydro sorry, hydrologists, archaeologists because we stumble over over bones and stuff all the time um many different areas biologists um then we want to document have to document all of that that means we need at least a cameraman and we need somebody who, should, who gives uh brings out the lights because it's a dark cave to get good footage and you need it to show that to get people interested you have to have a production team and so it's, a, it's quite a big team working together here. It's a lot of experts in their fields, which like the course. They just go like, wow, I, I want to be part of this because it is so cool. So it had been in, in the past years, it changed a lot. I mean, also, if you can believe that or if you see that you work with people which are leader in their area or same there's another person a strong character another cave diving explorer you can imagine it's like strong characters coming together um that works out for a while then they collide you don't know and then fall, they have a fallout and then the group changes a bit but i think the one point which makes me a little special if i can say so in this area is that i kept going 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 it's 25 years now. I've been working with quite a lot of people in the past. Uh, some are still going, um, but I've seen also a lot of people which retired of exploration. We did it for a couple of years. Then they go out, they find a normal job again. Um, they go back to, well, I don't know. Normal is a, a strange word, normal. but they go back to what we would say a normal life. No. And I just kept going. I want to know more. I want to know where this water is coming from, how the whole aquifer works. And of course, it's teamwork. We need a lot of people to make it happen. And even now, as the exploration spread out over the whole peninsula and the, bro the, the, the project became bigger than it ever was, more people need to be part of this and are part of this. And I'm working right now on a web page, which will come out maybe in two weeks. I hope I get it done in two weeks, the last things. And then there's the whole team, uh, the whole team there. Um, the projects are explained. It will be all there. And you guys can go in there and have, find way more information about the whole project, the whole cave exploring in the peninsula, on the peninsula. And yeah. It's just not exactly there yet, but very soon. If you uh, send me the info and I'll, I'll post it up as well. Uh, I, I, I couldn't go through this. I just want to mention the, the National Geographic Explorer of the Year 2007. Can you t tell us a little bit more how that came about? Because that's, that's quite an achievement to get in the Nat Geo. Yeah, I mean, um, we did... Well, then I have to go a little back and... and yeah. I, 2001, um, I focused my work to one system, one cave system. 
Um, there's loads of different separate cave systems in the area, and Sakaktun cave system, the white cave in Mayan language, that one was the one I thought, wow, that there must be more to do in this area here, especially because that cave, the, the Sakaktun cave was sitting here and then next to it, it like if you would put a pearls on a string, there was more system sitting in the same layout and there was gaps in between. Uh, but when you go into any of those caves, though them, you could feel that the current, the water movement was all from northwest to southeast in each cave. And they were just sitting next to each other in a line. And so, well, then it's, it must be the logical thing. It must be that that water coming from this cave feeds the other cave down here, and that one feeds the other one down there. And then I just followed the water, searching for the connections of the systems. And like I shortly said before, it usually came to a restricted area where people didn't keep going, didn't keep going exploring. And the first generation usually used double tanks on their back. So they were in a quite big, quite fat um, equipment configuration. I started exploring that same way. But then quickly we, we, we changed to side mount, which was the way, for example, British cave divers did all the time because it, it gives you a smaller profile and you have tanks on your site. And if needed, you can take one or even two tanks off your gear, off your body and put them in front and push through. Mm -hmm. And I did. And on the other side of that restriction, the cave opens up again and you can keep going, exploring. And like that, I was just like starting to connect one cave to the other next to another another and another and then people other people around came and hey you heard you do some cool stuff can we join and, yeah come in of course and then um sagatun became bigger and bigger and bigger and um at some point we added together i think it was 12 different systems or 13 at that point um, including the cave, which formerly at the moment was Nohochnachic cave system. And when we connect Sakatun with Nohochnachic, it became the biggest water-filled cave in the world for a short time. And that was picked up by the local press. And we had a bit of a um, luck there that there was also the American president visiting it was Bush at the time, I think, uh, visiting in, in, in Mexico, in the area here. And the international, international press was looking for what else can we pick up here when we have the president. So, oh, the biggest cave in the world. So it, boom, went out all over the world. And we were like in, in newspapers in India, in China. And um, we got into National Geographic. Um, Adventures of the of the year, and we're invited to go there, and we were going there on stage in in Washington and stuff like that. Oh, that was cool. That was some cool stuff. Wow, that's that's fantastic. And um, I'm, those caves, so sort of five hundred years ago in the Mayan Empire, and the, and and this kind of thing, would they have not had water in? And obviously, the Mayans was would would go so far, let's say, into the cave because I know there's some history with the Mayans and the underworld and everything. So are you, you're kind of exploring it in water, but 500 years ago, were they not water? Were they dry? Um, or is it impossible to say? No, no, you don't. You, there's some, some right stuff, but also the numbers are not good on that. Okay, so. Uh, the cave's been dry several times, always when there was an ice age. Makes sense. Okay. In the poles yeah. freeze, the whole water table in the world goes lower, and the caves been um, dry because also the water level in the caves went down as those caves are relatively shallow. Um, but that is ten to fifteen thousand years ago, so the way back, no? Okay. And when and and when we find bones deeper inside the cave, we automatically actually know they must be from last ice age because that was when animals or 
humans were able to get far back into the caves. And then it's in the most of the most most what we find are anyway megafauna like um, sloths, gonfitor, which is um, an elephant like a mammoth, um, saber-toothed cats, um, bears, camels, name it. It's all there. No. Uh, humans also from that time, but so if, it, if it's far back, we know it's old, and the finds we do very close at the entrance, like um, they can be back, date back to two thousand years back. That's when the Mayans were uh, ruling in the area here, when they had like their high high um, society there at the time. Um, even so, Tulum was um, countryside, so there's not too exciting finds, like not, nothing like the Inca gold <laughs> given to the Mayans, like in Chichen Itza. But um, see, sure, we find pottery, we, we find human, human bones, we find animal bones, but we know, or it is actually very close to an entrance always, because the water or the cenotes, even 2,000 years back, they were filled with water already, and the Mayans used them as their as their wells uh, where they got their water from for rituals. Um, so they gave stuff to the cenotes, the gods of Shibalba, which are living down there in the underworld, which is Shibalba, and the cenotes were the portals to go there. So. Whatever was thrown into the cenotes or fallen into the cenotes, and we still find it now, hundreds or thousands of years back, came from the still from that time when the waters already had filled the place and they couldn't go very far in. And farther in, then it's ice age usually. Wow, that's that's quite amazing to think that. Yeah, the ice age it just sort of blows your mind to have to think that far back to when humans were walking about and yeah that's amazing stuff so in, in terms of the next big project uh, Robbie what what's the next big thing that you that you're working on now it's kind of the same just bigger <laughs> you know okay. it's like going out finding caves and right now we or in the past we always been having too small of a focus. We were like looking at one special place and push that and I could like, hey, I got the biggest cave. <laughs> and then now go, what I tried to do for, for or right now is building up the big picture. It's funny how exploration had happened in this area here. I mean, it was all private initiatives. It was all cave divers, which found their own place to go exploring wide, wide west. I mean, in, in Europe, you couldn't do that. You couldn't go just walk somewhere, find a hole, go exploring, making a map. You would be locked away pretty quick, you know, mm -hmm. where's your permits and kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Here we can, we can, we could. It gets a little harder now, but um, we, we could do that all the time, and everybody could do it. So there was even like groups building up, which were like working against each other and had races in like who get the bigger cave, me or you or what? What's going on? And it was really like wild, wild west, like I said, and um, well. For that reason also, never ever all cave data, which is already available, made it onto one place, which is a shame. Because if, for example, that was would be already established knowledge in, out there, that there's so much cave, it's amount of 2,000 kilometers on the smallest area you can imagine. Um, Maybe then there would have been a better choice, a better way, or better way tools to work against what had happened right now. That a train system, a, tra a train track system, was built right over the caves. Maybe we would have would have had better chance to make difference there, so it could be planned a little better or something like that, more hmm. protecting the environment with it. But it's kind of to blame us cave explorers in the past, not working together, working against each other more, more than anything. And 
that the data didn't get all onto one platform, onto one big picture. And that's something I'm trying to try to do right now. Hmm. Create a big picture, create a platform with as much information about the cave systems uh, as possible. And building that up gives a lot of new ideas. And that gave me that new idea about that the main fractures which cross the peninsula also need to be water-bearing caves, which actually then bring water all from the tip of the peninsula of the, of the Yucatan all the way down to Belize, or better to say the other way around, because the water comes from Belize and goes up. Mm. And there's other fractures which go all the way up to that impact crater, you were saying, of the, of the meteor which is maybe the cause why these big fractures are even there, right? There was an enormous impact going on to the peninsula and the fractures run out away from it. Mm. It makes sense in my, my little head, at least, you know? So um, it is actually now going out and look for these big fractures. Where is the water really coming from? Where is the water moving? Is it coming from Belize? Is it coming from the inland? Where does it come from? Where does it go? And so my area of not just around Tulum spread out all over the peninsula and into the neighboring countries, Guatemala and Belize even. And I suppose, like you say, you need you need a team around you then. You need scientists. You need to give the data back in. You need people to be studying the ge geology of the area. You're on the front line getting the data, feeding it back, and now you have some cohesion between between a few parties to start really work, working everything out, yeah? That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great stuff. Robbie, I'm going to say uh, thanks so much for your time. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I will post some, some links in the show notes of the things you're doing. Uh, please let me know about the website as well, and, and we can get that shared. Uh, I just want to say thanks for taking the time to talk to me. It's been fascinating and I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it very much too. And guys out there, go on to my internet, uh, Instagram and Facebook because there I will announce definitely when the web page comes up. So if you follow there, you also will be advised or told, or how to say it, yeah, notice, Notified. notice yeah. when the web page comes up and then you can dig in deeper to that all that about that what we've been talking right now that's brilliant thanks again robbie thank you stephen hi thanks for listening to the podcast if you enjoyed that please like and subscribe it really makes a difference thanks very much